2: And Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com/slash host.
1: The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov/slash career/slash USBP.
2: This holiday season, the best deal in wireless can only be found. At Mint Mobile. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order and activate from home with eSIM, while saving tons on phone plans starting at just 15 bucks a month. For a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com save. That's mintmobile.com slash save. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash save.
3: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
1: Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com
2: You're listening to Pop! The History Makers with me, Steve Blame. So first of all, Al McKenzie and Peter Kunner, welcome. Um, I just mentioned Al, to Peter, while we are waiting for you to enter, that uh, the connection <laughs> that I have with the brain is that my ex-boyfriend used to DJ there, Ariel. Oh, I remember Ariel, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my only connection. I must have gone there, but as I said, I can't remember a sort of five-year period of my life like everyone has that sort of phase I was clubbing in Europe most of the time so I think I would put it down to that anyhow let's start um I want to get a little bit about each of your childhood because I always feel that there's there's events in the childhood which uh actually are just very important in life in terms of what gives you drive and uh where you go with your life so maybe I can start with you Peter um where were, you, where were you brought up? And can you tell me about what your parents played for, for music and when your taste diverged from
3: theirs? Um, this is a, a very good question, Steve, thank you. Um, well, I've always known since a child, I was adopted at birth, so my mum told me that I was an orphan. She, in fact, she used to sing that Tammy, I think it's a Tammy Winnet song, I'm nobody's child. Nobody's child. You know, that's not, you wouldn't know that song. It's an old country song. Just like the desert, I am running wild. No mommy's kisses and no mommy's smiles. Nobody loves me and nobody's child. How did that make you feel? Well, I, I think what happens, uh, what I know it's commonality to adoptees is that they, uh, they turn tricks to ingratiate themselves into the family so that they're not like a cuckoo uh, thrown out of the nest. So, there's a people pleasing element to that. So it, it puts you on that kind of hungry boxer sort of thing, you know, like if you've got drive and stuff and I always felt like I wanted to do stuff. But I found out later on when I was 24, just as Doreen was breaking through <clears throat> that I was um, I met my natural mother and I found out from her that she was a singer in a band. My my, my father was uh, the MD, the main trumpeter player and, and guitar player. So it all kind of felt like it was in the blood, if that made any sense. And then, well, my dad was really good. He was a Johnny Cash nut, basically. So my first gig was Johnny Cash when I was 10 years old at the uh, Opry Hall in, in Belfast. And, and from that sort of religious moment on, I was, I was brought up in country and indie, sort of Irish folk rock, that kind of stuff. And I was into, I, my our taste diverged once the police hit the scene and I was a big fan of theirs and, and Queen. Um, and I just yeah just grew up and I kept on the indie guitar thing. I had an indie band then from when it was, um, blimey was 14 or 15 and by the time I was 19 we were in London uh, uh, recording for U2 the, they had a, a label called Mother Records so that's the time I was in London doing that and and then when that, that didn't work out uh, I was on friends floors for a few years uh, sofa surfing until I got on my feet and then I started going clubbing and that's when I went to the brain club. Okay, we come, we come to that in a minute because we're jumping yeah, like just, so much
2: there. How, just how, just, how... just what's in- fascinating really is this idea of drive that actually you um, were adopted and this sort of uh, feeling uh, gave you your your drive. My father, I was told by my mother that my father never wanted me as a third child, and I always oh. think the reason I ended up doing TV was to oh. sort of get love elsewhere because he yeah. didn't love me, you know? So I think The, the Drive <laughs> right. Factory is really fascinating. I get that, totally. So Al, with, uh, with you, I mean, I'm no therapist, so you can say, this is all bullshit, I don't believe it. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. But where were you brought up and what sort of music was uh, played for you by your parents?
0: I was brought up in Scotland, in Edinburgh, and just slightly younger than Peter, I like to point out all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, the, in the 70s, well, 68, I was born. Um, yeah, I mean, it's quite usual, sort of, uh, really just normal, not very musical. I was in sort of council estate in Edinburgh. Um, father did have a record player and did buy a lot of records, and that would be as musical as it's got for me really when I, was, when I was young. Um, I mean, he had a wide, eclectic taste in music, so I music was a thing because he did have, he brought sort up of little seven inches all the time and stuff, you know, put them on. But I, so that, that went from stuff from the Carpenters to, to Bob Marley and um, Roxy Music, stuff like that. So it's quite an eclectic thing, but I mean, I never went to a gig or anything like, but unlike Peter, I take to Johnny Cash, I, I went, my first gig was 1985, which I went on my own. Like, seen like no camion So I, I sort of forged my own path musically and what I liked, never played an instrument. <laughs> it's quite strange, actually. And then when I left home around, I'd be about 20-ish, 21, I went to bank instead of, I was going to go to university, but I'd sort of rebelled against my parents who wanted me to be a doctor. And I decided that that wasn't for me. And I, I bought a sound system, and for some reason, I started, bought turntables, started DJing parties. I used to DJ at eighteenth um, birthday parties, stuff like that. And that would be around the early 80s. So, yeah, so, we were, Mid '80s it'd be actually, and we went to move to England around '84, and then we, I immediately got my friend was a DJ I, I befriended in England, and he um he just said go, 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 go. What's that? start playing um um yeah records to people, and we had a hustle radio show actually. and used to go there and play, and I just started playing records, and house music came along, and we just I just it just hit me massively, and so I just really early on. So I just started playing house music lots and then just really mad time. Just,
2: just to go back a little bit, that 1985 gig, who was it?
0: Uh, it was Cameo. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Larry Hang- Hang- Hangman with, um, yeah, when he'd just done Word Up and stuff. So, which was amazing. And then I think the week after I went to see George Clinton. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite, quite an eye-opener for a young, young white boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite interesting. Very interesting, in fact.
2: Yeah, he had that brilliant codpiece, didn't
0: he? <laughs> he did have that brilliant codpiece, and he was wearing it at that gig, yes.
3: Might be the revelation is it's not a codpiece. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: uh, for me, because um, I'm a generation further back, you know, I was born in 1959, and for me, Bowie uh, was, you know, sort of my everything as a, as a a as a teenager, and he represented a world in which I wanted to go in, because it was much more you know, it was open, it was, you know, open sexually, um, it was so different to this small village that I was brought up. Was there an artist that either of you had that opened up a, a sort of different world that you felt that you could belong to instead of the world that you came from? Al, do you want to start?
0: I remember I mean, the, the first artist I can remember ever really being into, and it was quite late on when he was Prince, to be honest, that was, um, he, I think, just musically, it was diverse. It went cross because I was right into my sort of funk and soul and stuff, but also rock. So he was the one person that just kind of like, did it all, basically. And for me, that, that would be, I mean, to this day still, really, I and mean, Prince has always been, I mean, I, I remember the bands, like when I was so, you know, the, uh, yeah, 10 years on us, So uh, like people like Blondie and stuff, I kind of like, my father quite like Blondie, but that, that's him telling me what he liked, I think. Prince would be about the first one I really sort of got into. I mean, it was like bands like that, that whole new romantic thing with Duran Duran and stuff, but quite short-lived that. I mean, it's funny that Bowie, used to like Bowie as well, but 10 years on, I suppose. So, you know, but and, yeah, was all mainly for clothes and stuff for me. I, I just like the look. generally was the, the thing I liked when he sings. And I suppose more of a scene than bands would be that whole Woodboy two-tone scene that which, well, this sort of forward person really with uh, your specials and madness and stuff like that I loved that but you know I was young but you know suddenly I was, I was no rude boy but I used to dress up that way and used to and I used to love that sort of thing so that would be the the first uh, scene that I was sort of into let's say. And Peter what about you?
3: I, I do remember um, your, your rhythmics having a huge impact on me I was obsessed by Annie Lennox so, and I think like Bowie that gender um Gender and ind, indescript indescript I suppose and, and the way they kind kind of messed it up and they started like you, you couldn't tell and but that was kind of really sexy back then I don't know if you recall um, and then a lot of girls started emulating that by cutting their hair and and dyeing it so it was a very big thing then and it's just it's just been very exciting the power dressing and the voice to go with it and sweet dreams being almost so pseudo pseudo masochistic not that I knew that what that's what it was at that stage I I'd no idea but um, yeah, I thought it was just uh, very heady, very exciting, and um, <clears throat> yeah, I suppose later on there was uh, other artists threw me in like Simple Minds. I was listening to um, Depeche Mode there on the car on the way home the other day, and Roddy, was uh, uh, it Roddy Frame from uh, a Aztec <laughs> Camera, um, and I was listening to Echo and the Bunny Men and uh, Vesperus the Cutter, and I was just like, I was obsessed by these records. But one of the bands that really obsessed me were a, a band called. Um, uh, they had uh, Party Fears 2 the Associates I don't know if you remember them I mean I'm I'm obsessed with that record it just draws me in because I know he's got this operatic tone to his voice and there's something very frail about that record and uh, and I kind of don't want to sit and play it because I know if I play it I'll understand it better and I don't want to understand it I want it to stay magic
2: <laughs> so, No his voice is amazing I'm Billy McKenzie that Party Fears <laughs> 2 is my favorite record of all time to yes, be it means,
3: yes. it just it just sits out to me of, uh, heads and shoulders above. And it's a tragedy because I'm sort of linking up a lot of the, the lives that these people had, you know, these shimmering flowers, because I saw this Top of the Pops performance and I was thinking quite a lot of them, you know, had had issues or they got hold of stuff that wasn't good for them. And, you know, at Simple Minds, um career was wrong footed, I, I believe, by by drugs. And, and so was, so was uh, the associates, you know, it's like, it's sort of, and, and uh, if you think of um uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, you know man, big country. You know that there's so many of them.
0: You're so
3: um, and there, but for the grace of God, go I Steve. <laughs> Therefore, but the grace of God, go all of us. I reckon, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> to be honest. Um, okay, you mentioned both mentioned that your uh, uh, your uh, parents, Peter, your adopted parents, as it were, and also your parents out were interested in music and 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 bought music and played music in the home, but were they? Um, culturally aware and did they really sort of if I think of uh, my parents it was like you don't you don't get into the arts in inverted commas because you're it's not a career you know it's not something that you should do how was that for you let's start with you again Peter here
3: sorry, that just like they they were they were incensed when I decided to drop art because I had I had a good hand and I could dro- Fairly draw, and that I was going to go to art college and be a graphic designer, and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of like what I was saying about you know, you want to go to a bank or be a doctor. So they're like, you know, they, my mom used to say musicians were two to each penny. So two to the penny, right? You know, why would you do that? And because music's like air, it doesn't pay. And I was going, well, I don't care. I'm just obsessed by this thing. And I don't want to tread the path that's sort of just sitting there in front of me and end up with a mortgage and the house age, 21 and then you're in that that, you know, in the pipeline, as it were. I'm obsessed with this. I don't know what it is. And, I, and when I play it, I want to know how to record it and how to make it bigger and how to make record. But I was in a place in, Dun- you know, where we are in Derry, there was nothing here. I mean, there was no no one to even tell you how to use a guitar tuner instead of your ear, right? So talk about having a regional disadvantage. So the time you get to London, you just learn, learn so much more. Um, and I think that was a... My, my folks were culturally aware because I know that when they met, it was like... Uh, Cliff Richards was at the top of the charts with, with Move It and they were going out dancing all the time. They were dancing to all those tunes. Uh, uh, you know, uh, What's his name? Um, Go, Johnny, Go. by. Um, oh God, the names are escaping me here. I'm going too fast. Uh, but they were out there and my mum could jive like nobody and she loved partying and stuff like that. So there was music was in the house all the time. All the time. And it, it, for me, it was great because <clears throat> although I wasn't making the music they wanted, my dad bought me my first guitar and it was um, a little Fender Music Man. Um, and I I just I just took to it like a duck to water. Within a year I could play lead guitar and all the rest of it. And and before long I found a band. And that's that's how I wanted to experience it. Because when you <clears throat> if you're obsessed by it, in my case, I just want to understand it by playing it and enjoying it and having the feel of it. Because when the band strikes up and you hear feel that power, there's something that happens. <laughs> there 's like an energy that's beyond most human experience when the band strike up to. Uh, that that kept me away from uh, throwing stones at the police, Steve, you know what I mean? I had, had more more important things to do. You know, we were ch- chasing girls in glory in the shadow of a war. That's how we were thinking, you know? <laughs> so Al, for
2: you, well, did they believe that there was a sort of cultural value in the world and that you could actually do something which is of use as what you've both done, which is, you know, enhance the cultural value of what's yeah. out there for us?
0: I don't think my parents had any sort of, a, sort of cultural awareness at all, to be honest. I think, you know, they did what they did back in the, when they were growing up and stuff, you know, but they weren't very cool. i say my dad bought records, but that, that was as far as it went, really. I don't, you know, I mean, I absolutely couldn't believe what I was doing when I chose to do what I was doing. And it certainly never, I, I, I never showed any sort of um, real urge to go into it, so any musical things. So it was quite a late thing for me when I started sort of DJing. by which time, yeah, yeah, we were very different people, I have to say. They're just, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to speak back that's the past, I'm not going to span it. But let's just just say they're very Scottish, very stuck in the ways with some things. My mum's mom, still, like, and she's a bit more open minded now, let's say. We'll leave it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's, no, but my dad really wasn't very open minded on many things. You know, he's a, uh, you know, I remember, yeah, let's just leave it like that. <laughs> okay, Al, could you tell me, you know, you, you talked
2: a little bit about your route in getting into to being a DJ, but that cannot have been uh, an easy path. And I know that from Ariel that, you know, all the effort that he had to do in, in order to even start out was massive. So,
0: how difficult was that and what did you have to do? Oh, it's a really strange thing with us, because I say when I started, a friend was like a mobile disco doing radio and stuff. So I used to just join him. And we did. So I would be around about 17, 18. And we just we did these parties. And then at the time, it wasn't like now where it was just so difficult. now. People, You know, it's all about fashion and stuff. And it just everyone wants to be a DJ. It wasn't really like that then. So we just where we lived and it was in Surrey and well, there wasn't loads of people about although it's turned out to be quite a hotbed for DJs from that time for that whole 90s asset house scene it's turned out quite a lot of people came from around there that did really well Andrew Weatherall and all on the, on the scene we were on looking these old and that's just a real load of them I remember we could just go and buy our equipment for a, motor, for a disc because I had lights and everything and all that stuff as well and these guys used to just say oh we've we had to." They had, they had that sort of like an agency within the shops. So they said, oh, do you want to play here, play there? And it just coincided with that time where it sort of exploded. Mm. And suddenly you're just doing these parties. And they were really quite cool. And I just, I'd love to say it was really difficult. I did spend maybe a few months on someone's floor when I left home, with, you know when I eventually sort of left the bank and my mum wasn't, really wasn't happy. So I went. <laughs> but it wasn't, it was only a few months, you know. And then I, start, I met up, I just got lucky. A friend of mine just said, let's do a party in this club, which was The Brain. It did really well. I don't know how. And really, I really don't know how. And then suddenly Sean McCluskey, who ran it, said, so Gave me a more night on a Tuesday. And that lit, just blew up. It, went, it was all a small club, as if you remember. it's all small but And it was packed. And mm-hmm. suddenly, so it was a real quick transition, really, from suddenly just doing a few little things. And I had to say, I had a sign system before, to doing these clubs. And then a few hundred people turning up. And it was just. Yeah, it was really bizarre. And then Sean McCluskey as a sort of mentor as well was really good. You know, he, he ripped me off and he feed me as little as possible, but he opened me up to a lot of people. And then I met Peter out the bin very quickly as well. So it's all just sort of like escalated really quick. So I'd love, I'd love to say it was really, really difficult, but it wasn't. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I remember my, I used to go to the Omen in Frankfurt, I used to, because I worked on MTV and we were traveling around Europe all the time, so I used to go practically every weekend um, to Omen, and it was, you know, you talked about the religious experience that you you uh, yeah. had yeah. with um, Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. um, the religious experience was me, for me, was like being off my brain, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like on E in this club, and it was somehow the combination between uh, the music and personally, it was definitely the combination between the music and the drugs and the atmosphere and everything at that time was an experience that I don't think I'll ever forget. So maybe I can ask both of you of your first experience in that way. I'm not asking whether you took drugs or not, just the first experience of the club or whatever.
3: <laughs> I, was, I was very clear, even when Smash hits, they, they tried to... Um snare me, because they'd just done Brian Harvey. And they went, uh, you know, you're a dreamer, a dance with dance. Well, what have you ever taken drugs? I went, of course I have. I'm in a dance up from house music. And that was that, end of, right? So I'm not putting myself forward as any kind of, uh, you know, uh, example to kids or anything, you know, I'm, I'm in that world. But my, my introduction was this girl called Raina Victoria Shine, who's no longer with us. And I was into Brovnik, and I heard Chariots of Fire. And I know that Raina cut her teeth working for Vangelis. So when I ended up in London, uh, she put me up on her floor for a couple, of year, a couple of years, actually, until I got my stuff together and she loaned me the equipment I needed. And um, that's when I learned my chops um, in production and stuff. But um, Sorry, I've forgotten the, before your question. It was, was about thinking. the sort of
2: religious experience of going to a club.
3: Steve Proctor's Promised Land down at Elephant Castle. And uh, she gave me half an e, and I decided to take it. And my other mate, who was in the band with me, was like, rejected it. And I had this fucking road to Damascus conversion. And that that very night, he played Sweet Dreams. He played all sorts of eclectic records, and I just I could actually physically see the colors, shapes, and sound of the music. I swear, I've got this thing. I tell you, synesthesia has always been in me. I didn't know, but this drug really enhanced it. And I was walking around speaking in tongues and like I had this fucking mad conversion. I went I went back and it was about six months before I touched it again. But I was evangelizing to all my friends. We need to stick this stuff in the water. It'll stop wars. Right. We'll get it in the water supply. Everyone will just hug each other and stop killing it. And I was like, I was right out there. and so It was brilliant because um I sort of made the connection, joined the dots and then got into that scene. And by the time I was going out and hanging out with Al. I was well into that but that, that made me want to understand the music so I was presenting Alan with the kind of music that I was hearing but my best efforts weren't cutting it until he came in and went make it more like this make it more like that and, and that's that that was just all part of that energy that you know you felt that we felt that was that time I don't know if it was swinging around in the atmosphere or something but there's something else at play here you know not just the drug not just the beat but I suppose as we move through time and we're united on one planet that that's that vibe that scene. That's what was carrying our hearts forward.
2: I mean, Al. One of the things about DJing is that you play off an audience as well, don't you? You well, have you have to really understand where the audience is at. I, I, can you understand where an audience is at when you're not on drugs and you're playing
0: at that period? Uh, yeah, I think it's a good question, really. I mean, there will be DJs that say they can and have or did. must be lying, probably. <laughs> I think. You know, I think it would be really naive to suggest that, I, especially that with that explosion of the house music scene anyway, I'm sure it happened scenes, bygone scenes as well. You know, you hear about the, all the blues and stuff, you know, with the mods and all that sort of thing. So, you know, if anyone said it didn't happen, it would it's, be silly. I mean, I, I know when I started going out in the sort of about 86 or so, like going, I used to go out, but the we would be the, the house clubs. No, and Acid was out, and that that, that sort of came, about 87. I can remember, I I watched everyone doing it, and I didn't do it for years, to be honest, and then did. Well, you know, I didn't do it very often, but, you know, and it was, you know, anyone who's done it will know what what it does. You know, I wouldn't suggest going out and doing it every weekend now, but it was, you know, I was young, and the whole it was a whole different outer-worldly experience, you know. It was, you know, it really was. I think as the music went on and also people were taking them um, at ease, well, essentially, you know, as Peter says, I'm not going to sit and make out with any, any saint, you know, anything yeah. but. But it was part of the thing, you know, it was part of the sign that the all went. The reason they were there was because it went with the music. So, you know, people people got into it without it, obviously, and DJs played without it. Not many that I knew, I'll be honest with you, at that time. Mm. And, it was, and it was a it was a period in time as well. I mean, I, I know, I think it changed massively, you know, sort of like mid 90s, but, you know, that sort of, from that sort of eight, well, eight to nine to around about 92, it was, you know, it was, it was was, and again, that goes, what goes in the world, whoever knows what goes in the memory, but yeah, it was, it was huge and they were completely linked and the music changed accordingly as they changed. No, there's no, there's no, there's no question that that's sort of like eight, 89 to around like 92, there's lots of big pianos and hands near and big strings going like, you know, like that, that, and that went with the mute went with the drugs, obviously, and when it got worse, that music's kind of stopped.
3: When the cocaine arrived in 92, 93, it started, progressive house started then, and then we ended up in Garage, and it was all very, you know, I felt left behind then, <laughs> I wasn't really into that stuff much.
2: Oh. I have to say there's a downfall as well, because I remember that when my career sort of ended and then the drugs didn't work, you know, to quote the classic line, yeah. and then suddenly they enhanced the negative side yeah. and, and it was a real downer. And from then I thought, okay, you know, I've had my period of that. That can sort of lay in that period. So I do think there's there's a sort of another side to it. But I want to ask, there's um, it was your girlfriend, Al, that introduced you to Peter that's correct isn't it did she have a purpose in doing that because she must have known that uh Peter was a musician that was in a band in in a sort of indie band had signed to U2's label did she have a purpose in introducing you or was it just a sort of a friendship thing
0: she's always got a bloody purpose she (laughs) did I think at the time um, it I really was just a case of you know, she knew Peter. I was with him. I and I, I'd, I'd never said anything about doing music, but she knew Peter was music. He used to come to my club, and she used to go. So I think she just genuinely thought oh, it would be a good idea to get together, get together, and just see what happens. I don't, I don't know if Peter had conversations with her previously. But-
3: uh, they were quite aware of me in, in the office. Kath was my manager, and this I was cutting up bits of paper for a company called Remikey and Curtis, who prepared uh, reports for. Uh, from the news for boards of directors and stuff. It was mind numbingly boring, but it was only a job that people with artistic hands could do. And Kath was running that place and I thought very well, but she would have known that I was talking about working on records because one of the other um, uh, chiefs in there, Paul Greendale was making records and he was bringing vinyl in. And so we were talking about how to make records all the time. It was just that obsession, you know, she would have overheard the conversations and and she knew I wasn't, really uh, getting it right or wasn't working maybe that went subliminally into her head but she was the one that invited me down to Al's night and as I said it had been six months since I'd done anything and I went down there and it was heaving. the vibe was fantastic she says oh, look I'll introduce you to him and bring him up so I think once he finished his set we were we were at the bar I was struck by how tall he is because um he's five or something I'm five eight so I'm like you know oh <laughs> and so he's trying to, it's like little and large act you know at the bar um and just saying, look, I've got this track and I just can't make it sound like the stuff you're playing. And he, he sort of said, well, I'll come over and check it out. And that, that was it. Next yeah. thing I know, um, he was around at my little humble studio and um, and uh, we were I had You're the Best Thing. I was working on You're the Best Thing, but it was really, <clears throat> it was my version of what I was hearing rather than actually the thing. And Alan was going, play these beats, make it more like this, you know, make the kick drum last for 32 bars. And I said to him, or was it 16? I can't remember, but he I said, Who's gonna who's gonna listen to that? It's not gonna work on the radio. He says, it's not for you, you Muppet. It's for other DJs so they can lock on. And that was like ting, there you go. So that 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 put we had the with Alan, we had the sort of club kudos, and with me, the sort of muso, and we just put it together. And and that that really worked. And and initially, Al, you remember we weren't I wasn't gonna sing. I was I, you know, I, I we were trying to try and get singers in who looked, you know. Uh, Who could front the project? So we were going to do the sort of uh, the sound system thing. You remember? We didn't know what we go. <laughs> long ago, we did. We couldn't define it yet. We were sort of, you know, these things you go through, and you go, "Well, are we going to get these guest singers in?" And then, and then we were working in the studio, and the manager said, uh, "Tom Fredericks, I think, said look check out Pete's in the verse,' and then we switched to Deborah in the chorus, and that works." And that that's how best thing happened because I couldn't reach those heights and that's just you know out of just a physical reality um and then it became a happy accident
2: did you actually have a sort of conversation about what what you wanted to do in sort of long term and also what the band wanted to be because i've sort of seen things where where it's like you know the idea of philosophy but i sort of never Mm -hmm. believe in those sort of things because i think you meet someone and if you go oh let's try something I mean, yes. that's the normal thing. Was so? What was it exactly? We didn't even have a name.
0: That, that, that's 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 how far ahead we were thinking. We just started getting some gigs, and that's way off that thing. We and we had to find get ourselves a name because to put on a flyer for gigs because we, we hadn't even bothered getting a name for ourselves. That's how far ahead we thought. Really, we just did. We did some things. Kind of evolved naturally. I mean,
2: in retrospect, if you look from today, our your very club, uh, you know focused let's say in, in that way and uh, that's your style and Pete you're sort of, of, of come from like an indie area but are definitely more um, and I don't mean this in a negative way but you're more commercial oriented oh, yeah. um, um, in that well,
3: way. Al calls Doreen much to my chagrin he calls Doreen his pop project and I'm like I shit eat and breathe this stuff you know I don't call it a project I don't get up and think oh I'll do this project today I'll go and do a bit of DIY and then I'll do a bit of pop project, you know this is what I do, I just you know, sing and write and it comes out, some of it's stupid and he calls me out on it being too stupid and we kind of agree on the ones that are the least stupid I suppose but
0: but also P, I I think the thing where you just said there, it's changed around a lot as well, like when we did the last album for example I, if anything, I'd say I was more of the, I was trying to be more commercial, whereas Peter said maybe we've produced longer. I was one, no, no, we need to cut this down, this would be more like radio. So it has, over the years, it's kind of like, you know, come back, Peter's always been clubbing. It's it's been, it's really been this
3: and Alan and I are writing more together than sort of like, oh, here, I've done something, let's work on that. It's, it's become really, um, I mean, Make Love Cool Again is probably the one we did... From a suggestion alan made up in my sitting room we just stopped watching tv the only night we did watch tv and we ran down and within four days we had it actually finished from start to, that's the first time we've done that and it was really exciting because we you we were just handling it it was just sort of driving you forward is almost writing itself so um yeah i think yeah, commercial yeah i'm not i'm not the mccartney to his lennon let's put it that way <laughs> but um what it is, is like Alan's definitely got his, his head, you know, he's got his new um, Field of Dreams and he's in that kind of slow, cool groove thing. He's got his own show and I listen to his show still like I used to listen to his mixtapes and some of that rubs off on you. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's really good because he, I think we're becoming more united in, in what we're doing, but we never had a long-term plan, Steve. We just kind of, uh, I, I suppose we're now just exploring what we're capable of and we're putting now this stuff into the live set And, you know, unlike other acts, I know, look, and I'm not criticizing them, but you can just go do the old hits and and fine and just go back and pet your cat. But um, we're kind of, we're driven by our love for music and what potential we have. And we're putting new songs into the set. And we still believe that we can actually go ahead and get our own tour together, build up uh, more of a following or get people into us again because people have forgotten us. Or uh, if you're working outside the studio system, it's very, very hard to do, but. It's very rewarding the 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 connection we have with the people who are buying into what we're doing and and, and supporting us. And that's great.
1: Hey listener, have you ever thought about starting a podcast? Whatever you love to talk about, we know there are listeners out there who will love to hear it. Start your podcast with ACAST and join the world's best podcasters, including Mark Marin, Anna Ferris, and over sixty six thousand other creators. You can get started completely free at ACast.com.
2: you're listening to pop the history makers with me steve blame it's interesting you say that because there are there are two sort of two i mean i wasn't going to go there in this this way but i think you sort of brought it up there are there are two there are artists from a particular era from the 80s and the 90s let's say that will go and just repeat their songs on on stage which is all good and well I mean you know there are artists from the, the the 80s and 90s that I absolutely adore and I would love to see even if they're just repeating what they're doing on stage and there are people that aren't satisfied with actually doing that and they want to uh, develop because yeah. they've developed themselves that's it. over the years
3: that's it and also, I also think I'm, um, you know, I was going to go to art college and I know from that, that, and I know from the painters that I'd studied that, um, whether I'm getting awarded posthumously or not, I'm still exploring creativity in my art and I'm still doing that with Alan in a partnership, which is becoming more and more fruitful and we're still exploring that. And it still has so much potential. We're talking about, uh, doing a double concept album and it's just right out there. And I absolutely love that. You know, that, um, um it's just it's it's something to look forward to. It it gets me out of the bed in the morning, you know, and uh and it is sort of you're learning and growing uh, as well as as doing something I think fruitful and, and and worthy.
0: I don't I don't think there'd be any point doing it if we were just going to do what you said there, just churn out the old stuff. I don't think we would we there'd be no point for us doing that. we would just phoning me up saying yeah, we've got another gig here, we're just going to do the hits and, and not bother doing the studio because. The, the whole point of this is to make new music. You know, we are ultimately a band. I know we're, we're all getting on a bit stuff and being around, but, you know, that's what we do. And that, that's what we wonder. do. And we still think, well, we think our last one was the best album ever made and hopefully the next one will be even better. And that's the way we look at things. So that's that's I, it's just pointless otherwise. I, I wouldn't want to be just getting up and just going to a gig and just doing things to look better. you the best thing. And, and the other ones that, that, that people forget about. <laughs> How do you deal with the
2: outside perspective on you? Because I've had that because I was on, you know, being on MTV and it was known in Europe. So in, in Germany where I live, I'm still known and people will say MTV and MTV was thirty fucking years ago. Do you know what I mean? And it's bizarre to me to be, even though I have no problem with it, it's it's my past. But it's sort of bizarre not to think that I may have developed in between. And I'm a screenwriter today as well as doing this. So for me, I have a different life as as well and you've both developed as well over over your lives so how do you feel when you are and maybe I can ask you independently associated with an era which is I'm associated with an even earlier era so that's a sort of different thing but how do you feel about that when you're associated with an era is that okay or is it something that you internally fight against
0: I wouldn't fight it. I mean, that's just the way it is, isn't it? I mean, if things get better. It's a huge hit. I mean, I know we had others, but that's how that's how we are defined. Um you know, it is what it is. I mean, we took a break as well. You know, we did, for whatever reason, we don't need to go into that. But and it, it was a long break, and so in inactivity for us. So you you have to build up following again ultimately somehow, and that's which is difficult. We with a lot of bands, some just kept going and then have that. So it's easy to yes, you're known for that, but you've got that sort of fo- we we because we took a break. We will always kind of be known for that, and it's, it's going to take a while. You know, still young enough, hopefully, to um, make that happen. Going to take a while for it, you know, to to be you not know, and sort of people um, to sort of notice your new stuff and say, oh, almost forget that. That'd be very difficult. Oh, you know? Well,
2: they won't forget it because it's a you know it's a. Brilliant track. I mean, I think, I think that's it's, it's always, not something that you wanna forget, is it really? It's just such a it's a great track, but all I mean is that identification with something that you did long time ago, and I mean, whether that identification that,
0: that is everyone, good. No, that, that's that's everyone, anyone that has something that's been quite big, regardless of what you know, if there's an actor or whatever, something you'll always be known for that thing. So I think you just gotta go with it and you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully people people's perception will well, not change because we are, will be that band that had things a bit better in the 90s you know it's just that's just yeah. I, I don't, it doesn't bother me i don't know what peter
3: well it, what i understand about people is that they're, they're very very small and short attention spans and to get hold of them for even a microsecond is uh, it's like a as an artist it's a blessing and in, in that regard they sort of you know <clears throat> In Ireland, what I, what I do, and i would had Alan the other night say to me, things are going to get better. When they say it to my face, I make them put a, a pound in the swear box. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's swelling, let's put it that way. But I was in Ireland about two weeks, and I'd already earned 20 punts from getting people to put, well, not some it was 20 euros from <laughs> saying that. <laughs> Did
2: you me. say 20 punts?
3: No, 20, 20 <laughs> p- punts be the previous currency before it switched to to it it is what it is and then the other thing is some people only experienced us through supporting labor and then other people are hearing of us through um uh some of the the other cover versions that are done and we're almost being reintroduced to various scenes so how people experience you you know that's that's their experience and they they can only acknowledge that to you from their experience and uh, that, you know because because of the hype of a main studio system and you 're on the t v and you 're all prevalent you know that that defines a song or soundtrack to their lives at that time, and that 's what it becomes now that 's a great although it's, it can be a burden in one regard and the other it 's a it 's a calling card it's a it 's a blessing so it gets us gets us out there gets us known it gives us a chance to 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 do our new stuff um, which is a chance hopefully to do our own tour at some point, which is where that's, that would be uh, you know, and I wanted, I was on my way to the States and I stopped in London, you know, I wanted to go to the States and uh, we've never really done anything out there. Um, so, you know, I believe we've got some sort of cult status out there. So it would be nice to go and um, get a couple of gigs, even if it's just Alan running the, the backing tracks or, or DJing with me and doing a live mic. I don't care, but I'd love to get out there. Um, so no. it's ambition and hope. And that's uh, that's a killer hope. But uh... <laughs> yeah, <they have. laughs>
2: This morning, I was listening to an uh, early instrumental version of "Things Can Only Get Better" on YouTube. Um, how did that track actually develop from from that to the to the final version? What were the stages within that development? It,
3: it I was a I was a beast. Do you remember Alan? We couldn't get it right for so long. I think that's because
0: it was instrumental initially, wasn't it? And you you had your song idea. <laughs> yeah, you were
3: sort of. Trying to, yeah, trying to, um, you know, stop, stop tailing them to each other, but it was like putting square pegs in round holes for a long time. It, it, it was a beast because I had this site, I worked on this song, I had a proj- project, <laughs> I had a band. <laughs> he, oh, he's got me speaking the, the language. <laughs> I was in a band with a guy called Jamie Patry and we were called Jordan, and um we wrote that song uh things better he came come up to me with the lines walk my path where my shoes and it was very much like a, a sympathy for the devil thing you can wear my shoes like right so it had that vibe and it was totally different and then and um what can I say and, you know that didn't work out but when I was working with Al um maybe before I was working with Al I can't remember. But we. I uh, was working with Jamie still and we never had the chorus for it. And I was sitting in the office, and uh this girl sitting in front of me was uh, Roland Gift's sister, a girl called Rana Gift. And um this is about a year after we started this song, and uh and she's and she's and someone said something very hurtful to me in the office. So I was I sort of she could see the tear in my eye, and she says, tear up, Pete. You know what they say, things can only get better. So being a songwriter, I was like, I, I just left her presence immediately. Went, I had a Sony Walkman with the old cassette in there and sang this idea thing, and I just had this, just came into my head from what she said, and uh, so hopefully she won't come after me for royalties, but anyway, that's another story, Um, and then I took that to Jamie that weekend, and we had this song, I was like, fuck, that's really good, you know, and everyone loved it, but you're not in the major studio system, you're not, you haven't got a platform, so fast forward, two years later, Jamie and I aren't, aren't working, he has a, a son, and so he's got to leave to concentrate on that, and I'm going to the clubs and what have you. And it's always been there sitting in the background. But when I got started working with Al, we were working on Best Thing first and then, and then I knew I kept playing this thing to him, but we were sitting, I don't know, actually we were sitting working on the Shaw Twins and everyone thought of no,
0: things- it was, it was with John, Baby June. we have done the remix for Baby June right. with all the brass.
3: Okay, well the brass, and then didn't, were we working on the Shaw Twins and we had- Shaw Twins were a- done, we'd finished and that became Unforgiven. Right. And then we had Mayer um, sort, sort of yellow style thing going on for the Shaw Twins remix. And I stood up and um, I just started singing that chorus and you were going, what the fuck is that? And I was going, what's this old song I had for just came into my head, worked over the backing track. So that became the beginning of it. We knew we had the chorus. and But the, the other bits of writing that were a bit like um, uh, the Rolling Stones weren't, weren't working at all because that was like the verse. So I moved that into the bridge. And I wrote the verse with Brian Cox one night coming home from uh, Renaissance up in Manchester. And the reason why the gaps are so huge, because I, then nothing, sometimes lose, my, that that gap is the length of time it takes the car to travel from one light in the motorway to the next. <laughs> right? So I can't see anything. Sometimes, <laughs> right? So, um, and then when I brought that down to how we were doing the studios, trying to, trying to make it fit but the worst i think the worst bit we had was we couldn't get the chorus to work and so we were in constantly with backing singers trying to build up this chorus and every session that we had with various singers just wasn't working um and then one day tom fredericks our producer sat us down in the control room and he pulled up a fader from the first session at the emi studios the f- session from the seconds and he pulled up all these faders so must have been about 40 50 voices on there and when we got to the chorus it was like that's it that's the sound I didn't know we needed a gospel choir. We didn't know. We just we got there by by accident more than design, and that's why when it's on the one, you know, at the opening of the course, it just it punches you in the face and jumps you out of out of your skin. That was just literally to try and make people, you know, punch the air in in e-friendly happiness, and it has all in that e-friendly. It always
0: happiness. goes back to ecstasy, doesn't it, Peter?
3: Well, it's that. But listen, every scene has a pill, a beat, you know, a look. Yeah, it's it's that and we were in there and you could not but write for it. You had to be feeling that vibe to put that into the record. And that's all it is. It's a concentration of, um, you know, love ranch. It's a concentration of renaissance. It's all those that energy and that scene. Is it true that the second
2: verse is about Al or has a sort of because I, I, I wrote it out sometimes lose myself in me. I lose track of time and I can't see the wood for the trees. You set my light, burn the bridges of you gone. I'm too weak to fight you. I've got my personal health to deal with, and then you say, "Walk my path, wear my shoes, talk like that." I'll be an angel. It's because I think out in the, in the Guardian, when I I read that you said that 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 you'd never realised that that was about you.
0: Tell me once you've written the first couple of lines of that verse about me. Yes, once. Yeah. Coming out. Now yeah. it, might, it might have been a pill, all pilled up again,
3: <laughs> getting all heavy <lovely> with me. <laughs> when you're working and you're in the old rock scene, everyone's blinkering and it's like, you know, it's my idea, it's my, my, all this kind of stuff. So you're very, very protective over what you're doing and it's beer and fighting and that stuff. But when you get to work with someone, you're opening out and I and, and had none of those prejudices I found from my, my bandmates. So. It's kind of you know when I when I'm really blinkered, you're sort of going, let's look here, and it's like here. So it was like, yeah, it was a bit of like opening up your heart, and your mind, and that's good. I put a bit of that. So there's definitely a bit of Al's influence in there, yeah.
2: So how did you feel when you when you found that out? Because you found it out once the ba- once you'd
0: split think, at that uh, point, yeah, did, didn't I, you? I, I, yeah, it was. I, I it was going to feel quite nice, but then I think, as I said, it's probably quite a lot more than more than just me, but the other people. But yeah, yeah, of course it is. It's just, it's nothing. There's, Quite nice to hear that. I think you that but if you hear it on the radio, you think, Oh, that's all right, isn't it?
3: That's okay. Yeah, I like it, it's just brought a tear to my eye. You, you just write about what you know, yeah. And um, you're trying to sort of, I don't know what's trying to express with a lot of the songs that we work on, we're, we're looking for sort of something that is. We're looking for the part. We do sexy stuff. We do stuff that can be critical. But uh, in the main, we're trying to entertain people and also we're trying to make people feel up. You know, we're, you know, we're not constantly happy clappers here. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, want something that's just got that little bit more to it, you know? And um, and that's, yeah, some, I've loved what um, the guy who wrote um, Superstar DJs, here we come. He said there's something, what he you call, vaguely profound. <laughs> I love that you know, because he's not an quasi religious, possibly because I grew up a Catholic. But, and then you watch Bono and, and half of his stuff sounds like a sermon, you know, so you, you, you got this sort of line, you've got a tread between, you know, not being too specific and, and trying to express something and um, without just going, you know, uh, hey, we're all going to hell in a handcart, but you know, I've been saved by Jesus. Um, it's not that it's 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 it was that our scene and you know Alan's influence on me is in there as, as everyone's along the way. In fact, we wrote many hands uh, very very much about that 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 very same thing.
2: Maybe it's a little bit of Catholic guilt in there, like I've got
3: as <laughs> a Roman Catholic yeah, or I've brought up. Boy George says he loves having sex with Catholics because they make it, they they believe it's dirty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm with him on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all I can say I don't know if I should say that. <laughs> Anyhow, um, when 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 you did um, split, how did you both feel in that period? About because you'd, you'd achieved such a lot mm. that I just wondered how difficult that that was for both of you. So, how maybe you can start.
0: Uh, for me, it would say something. It was my decision ultimately because I just we we'd moved to a point, and it was just it wasn't. It wasn't going anywhere, it's just it was it gone sort of stalled a bit because of management and record companies and this. And I wanted to do things and I was still you not know, still DJing and stuff and going out, but you know what making music's the great part of it. You make the music, and then suddenly there's this big machine that's telling us someone that, that, that you don't know, you can't see, they telling you that you're not allowed to do it anymore because you've got to keep on promoting this or doing this. I just want to make new records. And we were stuck in a you know, doing videos and doing, and it just wasn't going, I think a manager at the time, or Pete's manager at the time, not, not letting us do remix or anything. And I was just like, this is just pointless for me. So I just, I just had to go and get on with other stuff. And, and obviously people have a different perspective because he was, he went and got really busy, you know, so busy with gigs and stuff. I, I was busy on my thing, but I couldn't, you know, I could have I, I, I sat there, I don't, I don't know how people tell you when he next made a record. I, I, I don't know when he next got in the studio. It would have been a while, I would, I would assume but
2: yeah uh, and you were also hard. being busy being a dj i presume
0: I was, yes, I, that's what i was doing you know and i was i know i was playing most nights that's the thing so like so it's like just pretty much I was just done anyway but i wanted to do music it just seemed pointless to me to stay in that retirement where you would be taken out of what i was doing to sit around i mean i remember when i was sitting in a, in a in a studio doing a video just literally sitting there twiddling my thumbs I just like well, what am I doing here? This is this is pointless. So I do was and that was that was the reason. we wasn't like we'd fallen out? I had a massive like it was just a case that I I was bored. So, and that be the that be the truth of it. And then Pete, you know, he tell you that
3: we didn't know what it was. We still even when we were, it went so fast. That our relationship wasn't defined and Alan not being a musician and also DJing out a lot meant that we were already divided so my attention was on like just getting just getting it out there getting it happening and my idea is like oh, I should be on the radio it should be on top of the pops Alan's like no look I'm busy and uh, I don't get it and you, you, you're going a bit too you know too, you're cutting it down too much for radio and what have you so yeah, it was it was a natural split, but it was really along musical lines. And that there's a power structure there. Alan had his calf was managing him, and wanted to get him busy with the thing. And there's a clash between Alan's manager and my manager. And we shouldn't have had two managers if we were a, a real united group. We would have been doing this together. And what uh, we didn't, we just weren't. We weren't welded together like that. We've become like that now, but back then we weren't. And we were just too busy sort of pursuing our own our own goals. And um. And that's why it's split. But I have to say, in the intervening years, I really didn't do much on Dream apart from the election, and uh, and yeah, it was interesting because all the bands that all the um, things that I tried out bands and and different uh, names of groups and stuff. I just didn't do any Dream stuff. I didn't go out touring or or or, um, I just didn't want to go near Dream. I wanted to try and explore new stuff creatively. So I spent those years building up quite a cache of work, some of which were included on on. in memory of when Alan heard those, and uh, so I spent a long time understanding because my ego was such; it's all it was all me, you know. Said, but when I met him in the park, he said, "No, you, you're wrong. I thought it was me." That's when I said, <laughs> and, I said, well, and he said, well, "We should make another record." And we did. it. And we, re- I realized that I was looking into it. And when I saw what happened to Smiths once, um, once Morrissey had split, I I realized that what Mar brought to it. I mean, you see what what Sting sounded like when you removed. The other two, and uh, even uh, David Sylvian, without um, it, it just it just shows you what happens to bands. And I think <clears throat> that's what I like about them, and is that what, it, what they used to call it chemistry? And I used to deny that it was chemistry, but because I just thought it can't be that, but it is. Uh, it's something we can't even define. It's whatever the the vibe is, what your respect is for someone. Because I've sat down with other DJs and tried to make records, and none of them work. They just don't. Even David Morales, it didn't work. But when I sit down with Alan, something happens to us uh, and the way we communicate and how we choose and where we, that does work. And so being allowed to have another crack at it creatively was, I, I just think it's a, it's unique. And it's a, it's a yeah, what, what can I say? It's just one of those, uh, it's a fate. They call it fate,
0: I think. we stuck with each other.
2: Al, no, you, know, you, you know, you're doing Field of Dreams, uh, DJing, sort of club runner. Um,
0: retro
2: yeah. And do, you've got, you know, you've got these other, projects if I can say that word (laughs) going on (laughs) Uh, you've got these other things going on so um for you have you reached a point in your life where the 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 sort of sides of you are being fulfilled in such a way that you can do this do you see what I mean it's like I don't mean to say that there's anything you know wrong i think it's just
0: brilliant that you're back together and doing <laughs> it's this it's just my life's one project you know it's not like peter dreams a project james you know, and, Ch- and intrinsically linked to my life you know so it's um i look i just it's like everyone like you know you do Pete who writes his songs if not everyone's going to come to to us because he writes so much i you know i you just it's a uh, you know, dreams are main my main focus really on like music style side of things. The field of dreams things just comes and goes when, you know, I don't know, just it's not you no know, let's be honest. It's it's unless you're right at the top end, it's it's hardly a career. They certainly don't want to be recommended to my kids. You know, it's not something that you know, makes a lot of money. We we get gigs now purely because of the fact that we, we're quite a big band, you know. It's not that got to really work at music. I'm, I've always been fulfilled, to be honest. Just, <laughs> <laughs> you just go for well, dreams, my main musical thing. I, and it, well, no, when, when we didn't do it, obviously it wasn't. Now we do, it is. So, And it's not, I don't have any urge. I, even with the dance music I make, I don't really make the proper dance music, I always think. My, you know, dance music is for making people dance. And most of the stuff I make doesn't really make people dance. <laughs> and that's not because it's crap. It's just because I, I, I don't have this urge to make real big banging dance tunes. So, so I know, and I think that's why Dream works now as well because I've got I, I, well, it works because we work together. But yeah, the stuff I in my head I pretty much filter it all in the dream. There's not much. I mean, really, really weird stuff. I suppose that, that probably would get released anyway. Just sits here looking at it, thinking, Yeah, but no, I think I think uh, I'm, I'm I've always been fulfilled. Music's music, you know. And I, everything I, everything I like would be put into dream you know, and if it works, it works. Like was with Peter, everything he like. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, I'm, he would be quite happy to tell me, like I'll tell him, but that, that's sh- that's shit, So <laughs> you no, know, and that's the way it goes. So it's just, yeah, yeah. I, I look, team's got a bigger platform. I, I think it has anyway, I could be wrong for getting music out there because of who we are, as opposed to my thing here. Yeah, a few things are done okay, but you know, team's a much bigger platform. So you want to put your best stuff with the biggest platform, well, I think that would be the way anyway.
2: Has has distance and age changed you, Pete, in those times?
3: As I said to to people, you you really wouldn't have liked me years ago because I was just very, very self-centered and um, and driven. And uh, I think Brian Cox said it once. He said, I wish Pete wouldn't be so honest (laughs) because I I was hypercritical of everything, you know. and even myself, so as a perfectionist and a proper pain in the arse. I I would say I've dropped a few scales on the pain in the arse scale, but not totally dropped off it altogether. But yeah, I've matured and um I'm definitely more um what's the word for it? Well, mature with maturity, I'm more wise in, in what it is we're doing. And also I'm not I'm not expecting to be number one in America yeah. anytime. I still I still um no, I still, I think there's so much potential here that it still excites me. Yeah, we're still dreaming of that, you know, and as I say, I'm sitting watching movies and I'm going, God, what I could do with the budget, you know, uh, in terms of videos and what have you. And um, so we're looking at, it's not a musical, this concept as such, but we've got an idea of going forward of um, um, something really interesting. Um, maybe Dream the Musical, I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm warming to it now, the Dream the Musical. That's, <laughs> first <laughs> said, I thought,
0: That'd be me <laughs> off again. That'd
3: be, be, <laughs> be, 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 be really. That's Alan, reaction to everything I say for the first time. Watch.
2: <laughs> Who's <laughs> gonna play Tony
3: Blair? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, who could play? I tell you, he's really good. Um, watch him on there. That, uh, uh, he did Laurel and Hardy. You remember? Um, oh God, Steve Coogan, he could do a good Blair. He's brilliant. So yeah, that's. I mean, you know, it's something to to think about because I, I was um. One of my neighbors uh, is a, a, a an empresario, and he's the guy Jonathan, I think his name is. He discovered Hamilton, the guy who wrote that, and that's his biggest running thing in the states. And I was saying, have you ever thought about a, a house musical based on the scenes? Come and see me. So I'm still, I still good that. I might, you know, we'll see when we've got something tangible. We've got the music, but we haven't got. I'm not good at script writing and stuff like that. So I was thinking, what could it be? And then I was thinking um, maybe I'll do up some cartoons, not not as in sort of stupid cartoons, but more like a 2000 AD where it's more realistic cartoons, the kind of stuff you see played out at the end of um, uh, The Mandalorian, for example, those really, really good, you know, beautiful drawings and paintings. And maybe we'll do it like that with a bit of a, a loose bit of a script to it so that it, it at least gets it... Uh, put down but uh, that's so the musicality matched to the visuals if you know what i mean in a way that's so we're doing so uh,
0: get this right we're doing a magazine and we did a cartoon now as well this is all new to me <laughs> i heard about the music yeah. a cartoon right okay we're doing a 2000 D- D- D cartoon now as well brilliant
3: it all, it's all <laughs> makes sense
2: i love the way pete's brain works and when he said that brian cox had said to him that pete you're too honest and that, yeah, and that's, and you're too honest, and that comes from a scientist, <laughs> which is basically <laughs> yeah. truth is yeah. what they're looking for, <laughs> which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, guys, I, I just want to say at the end, it's been a pleasure to talk to you both. And I'm really pleased that, you know, that you are at this point in your lives. And I do think you really need to accept the fact that you did make a great contribution um, to, you know, enhancing our popular culture. So congratulations on that because I know sometimes people go, oh, don't say that, you know, that's, I don't want to hear that, but it's truth. And the thing is, it is, it is a worthy contribution. And really, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. And join me each Monday for a new interview. See you back.
1: Acast is the home of podcasting. No matter if you're brand new
2: to podcasting or a seasoned pro, we've got the best tools to create, grow, and make money from your show. Unlock your podcast's full potential with Acast. Join for free at acast.com.
1: Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. Know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. Hey.